Uh, if you will turn with me to Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 25. Acts 20, 25 is where, we'll, where we will begin. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of some church history as you're finding your spot there. We're going to be talking about Paul's warning to the Ephesian elders to uh, guard the church and to guard themselves against false teaching. Um, and an example of a church that in its history has gone way off the rails because of the, because they allowed their, the culture around them to influence their theology is the Southern Baptist Convention. And the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, the very first president of the seminary, his name was James P. Boyce. He was the, the seminary president when the Civil War started, and the seminary closed during the war, and Ch James Boyce became a chaplain in the Confederate Army. They had a professor at the time named John Broadus. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Broadus. Um, he was a professor at the seminary. He then became the second president of the seminary after James Boyce retired. Um, when the seminary shut down for the Civil War, he also served as a chaplain in the Confederate Army. He actually served in uh, Robert E. Lee's army um, as a chaplain for the Army of Northern Virginia. And so here were two people who were presidents or uh, professors at the seminary teaching people how to study scripture, preparing people to go into ministry as pastors, and they were supporting the South, which was fighting for th their state's rights to be able to keep slavery. And so totally off the mark on what we see in Scripture when God says that all people are created in his image. All people are created to be equal before him. All are equal in their sin and equal in their value before him and equal in his desire for them to turn to him and be saved. So here we have a church or a denomination or a seminary um, that has allowed the culture that they were a part of to shape their theology. And their wrong theology caused damage to the lives of many people. In our text today, Paul is warning the leaders of the Ephesian church to be on guard against that kind of stuff, to be on guard against false teachings that come in that the, as the culture presses in on you and tries to thwart what God is doing in the world. So let's look at our text today, Acts chapter 20. If you uh, are able to stand, would you please stand to honor God's God as we read his word. We're going to start in 25. I'm going to real quickly just give you some context because we skipped a few verses. The verses leading up to our text today, um, Paul has sent for the, he's, he's stopped on his trip back to Jerusalem and he has called for the 
elders of Ephesus to come and meet with him, and so he has some time to talk to them. And he starts off, the part we're not going to read, he starts off just by reiterating what he did in his ministry there and calling them to imitate him as he laid out a ministry of service and sacrifice and evangelism and teaching um, in its entirety. So he calls them to imitate him. And then he says this in verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this text, I pray that you would uh, teach us by your Holy Spirit's work in our lives and help us to help us to be on guard. Show us how to do that and then give us the strength to to do it because in warfare, and we are engaged in spiritual warfare, but in warfare, a tactic is to wear you down and to make you not able to continue in the strength of the to in strength to battle against the other side. And Satan does the same thing. Let us not tire of doing what is right. Let us not tire of holding to right theology, biblical theology, um, so that we can pass on a pure doctrine to the next generation after us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So Paul has called for the elders of Ephesus, and this is who he's talking to. He tells them two things. He, he gives them a warning, and it's twofold. The first one I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. It's pretty self-explanatory. But the first warning that he says in verse 28 is, be careful, or sorry, pay careful attention to yourselves. That's the first thing he says to them. Um, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because what he's talking about is a personal pursuit of holiness. And as leaders of the church that he's speaking to, he's, he's warning them, you can't lead the church into a life of holiness and lead them to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord if you aren't doing it yourself. And so he gives them this warning, pay careful attention to yourselves. You need to be personally pursuing holiness before the Lord. And even though he's talking to leaders, the elders of the church, um, and that certainly is a message that we need to communicate to anybody who would take a leadership role in the church or in any kind of ministry. I think it's also something that 
in our context today could be proclaimed to everybody. Everyone should be carefully guarding their walk with Christ and pursuing holiness in their life. And so as we're going to look at these things today, he's talking to a group of elders of the church, but it's something, the things that we're going to cover today are things that really apply to everybody who is a believer. So the first thing is he gives them this warning. The first half of it is pay careful attention to yourself. You need to be pursuing holiness. The other side of that is um, he continues on and says, and to all the flock, pay careful attention to all of the flock. And he reminds them that the Holy Spirit has placed them over the flock. He reminds them that it is a group of people that God has through the blood of his son Jesus purchased for himself. And so it's not a light task that he's calling them to. It's not something you just you just flippantly do and and it's there are heavy consequences for what we do in the church and so paul says pay careful attention to the flock reminds them of why the position that they're in is so important now in terms of in terms of not just leaders but everybody who is a believer all of us need to be on guard to protect the church because what we see happening, we'll see in a minute, I'm going to talk about some specifics with the church in Ephesus, but we also see it in our own culture today, is as the culture presses in, people begin to compromise things that we see in Scripture, and then they begin to change their theology according to what the culture is pushing in on them. They've got this, this tension that's going on, and they give in to the culture, and then they change the way they read Scripture. And so all of us need to guard the, the church against that. And so we all have that call. The church as a whole should be pursuing holiness as well. Holiness is something we need to pursue in our personal life. It's something we need to pursue as a group of people. And so Paul warns them. Now, Paul may very well have been thinking when he said this to the elders, specifically to the elders of the church in Ephesus, he may have been thinking about Ezekiel 34, where God issues a very strong rebuke against the leaders of the people who did not care for the people as they were supposed to. And God does not look highly upon the people of the time who were, rather than shepherding the flock, they were taking advantage of the flock and they were caring only for themselves and not for the people. And that could have been what Paul had in his mind when he issued this. But what he warns them of is he says, he goes on and he says in 29, I know that after my departure, now Paul knows that he said at the very, the very first verse that we read in our text that Paul's going to Jerusalem and he's, the Spirit must have revealed to him that he's not going to see these people ever again. Paul doesn't know exactly what's laying ahead of him, but he knows that everywhere he goes, there's persecution. And for some reason, he said to them, you will not see my face again, which caused them great distress. So Paul says in, in verse 29, knowing that he's basically passing the baton onto them because he's not there any, he won't be there any longer to be a, a leader for them. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And so he tells them to be alert. Now, 
there is evidence that this happened in Ephesus. So I'm going to read to you four verses real quickly just so that you can see how this played out after Paul's last conversation with the Ephesian elders. First Timothy, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to kind of care for the church. And um, First Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to him, he warns them of the same thing because the Holy Spirit has said this. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons throughout uh, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that god created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth and so his first the first thing we see is that paul said to timothy the holy spirit has revealed this this stuff's going to happen um, also in First Timothy, that was chapter 4, the very first chapter of this letter he writes to Timothy, he says this in verse 18 to 20, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, so by rejecting the the faith and the teaching and the things that Paul established and Timothy's continuing, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may, be, they may learn not to blaspheme. And so Paul says, this is already happening in your church. And he lists two pers- personally makes, it calls two people out, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And he says, They've been blaspheming, and I'm going to, I handed them over to Satan so that they will learn not to do so. In Paul's second letter to Timothy that we have, in chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, he said, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their, wa- and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus, so he's mentioned again, and now a third person, Philetus who have, now listen to what he says they've done, who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. That's the second resurrection, the the resurrection of, of people. They've swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. And so in Paul's two letters to Timothy, we're already seeing that this is happening. And then in Revelation 2.4, John, the Apostle John, gets a message from Jesus to write to seven different churches of that region. One of them is Ephesus, and he says this to the church in Ephesus, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And so false teaching, false teachers have come into the body of Christ at Ephesus, and as time has gone on under the influence of that stuff, the church in Ephesus, even though Jesus praises them for being people who stand for the truth, they have, in the midst of all of that, lost their first love. They've lost their devotion and their, their adoration of who Christ is because that's what false teaching does. It tears you away from the Lord. So it had happened just as Paul said it would. So he warns them about these people. Jesus also warned of wolves in sheep's clothing 
in Matthew chapter 7, 15, chapter 7, verse 15. We see it happening in our day as well. And I've mentioned this before, but I personally know people who were once highly regarded as pastors or leaders in different churches who have theologically gone off the rails because they've been sucked into the culture. As the culture has pressed in their ungodly values, they have, I don't know if it's in an attempt to be relevant to the culture or if it's just weakness and not, not willingness to fight for truth, but I know, I know people personally, and then there are people that I don't know personally, but I've followed stories in the news or whatever where this kind of stuff happens. People get pressed in by the culture. They change their theology, and they start teaching things that are false doctrine. What happens is they allow the culture and those tensions to shape their view of God rather than allowing God's word alone to, she- to shape their understanding of who he is. And these wolves, they've done much damage to many people in their faith in Christ. Now, if you think about it, who's behind all this? Satan. What is Satan's best tactic? Sat- I think Satan's best tactic is looking righteous while at the same time um, looking righteous but teaching, twisting scripture, teaching false doctrine. So he looks good, and if he can make you, if he can convince you that it looks good, then you're less likely to suspect that there's something wrong about it. He uses people to do this as well, as we're talking about today, to look like sheep, but they are wolves underneath. These people appear to be doctrinally sound. They use enough truth to make it sound right, but they twist the biblical teaching just enough to send you down a slippery slope to heresy. Um, Satan did this with Jesus. He tried it against Jesus in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He um, threw three temptations at Jesus after he'd fasted for 40 days. And how did Jesus respond every time? He quoted scripture every time. Well, then Satan changed his tactic. He adopted what Jesus was doing. And one of the temptations he used scripture to tempt him, he twisted it enough so that it wasn't quite right, but he used it and he tried to make it sound like truth. He tried to make it sound um, so that it it what didn't sound as much like a temptation to sin, but more like a trusting of God or depending upon God to carry through. And so he says, throw yourself off, for it is written, he will command his angels to guard you so that you won't strike your foot against the stone. And so he took scrip- scripture and twisted it, but it sounded good. It sounded not so much like a temptation to sin, but here's your chance to, here's your chance to trust God, and watch God deliver you. So he quoted it, quoted God's word, but he twisted it enough that if Jesus had given in, God's plan of redemption would have been destroyed. All right. So in your notes, we're going to talk about. 
three things that Satan does or things about Satan that we need to be on guard about. And then we're going to talk about some ways to do that. The first thing in your notes is that Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar. John 8, 44, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, and he says this. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is a liar. All things that are false are things that he has stirred up because he is the father of all lies. He lied to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he twisted God's word when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. So if he, if he was successful against Adam and Eve when they were in a perfect relationship with God at the time, and he, he wasn't successful against Jesus, but he made an attempt against God's own son, then you and I, in and of our own strength, don't stand a chance against him. So we need to recognize he's a liar, and he will twist even God's word to try to make it look like it's what he's saying is true. Second thing, Satan desires our destruction. For all the people who think sin and the things that God would consider to be sin are just, are just uh, things that God is doing to try to keep them from enjoying life. When you act against God's plan for your life, and you fall into Satan's lies, what happens to your life is destruction. That's his desire. He wants to prevent us from knowing Jesus, and he wants to prevent us from having salvation in him. And so 1 Peter 5, 8, 5, 8 to 10, which I noticed Andrea posted part of this verse on Facebook today. I thought she had no idea I was going to mention this today. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 10 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So first of all, Peter gives them some really bad sounding news but he follows it up with but there's going to be you're going to have to suffer a little bit in this life but god will restore you he will confirm his love and your relationship with him he will strengthen you and he will establish you so there's hope at the end of this verse but the beginning is a warning be watchful because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Satan is a master strategist in terms of spiritual warfare. His tactics are clever. When he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he did it after Jesus had fasted for 40 days. So he hadn't eaten anything for 40 days. And the very first thing that he says to him is, if, if you are the son of God, so there's a challenge to him, you know, prove yourself. If you are the son of God, Tell those stones to become bread. The weakest part of Jesus' earthly life at the time. 
because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. He doesn't go after something that he knows Jesus will easily resist. He goes after a weak part because he's taken on a human body and now he hasn't fed that human body for 40 days. So the first thing he does is goes after his most vulnerable point and says, turn that s- those stones into bread. You're hungry, right? All you got to do is say it, and you've got food right before you. In Luke, Luke's account in chapter 4 of Luke, he, the end of that account of the temptation in the wilderness comes in verse 13, and Luke says this, Again, uh, all the writers of Scripture are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Luke says, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I believe that opportune time was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was at another point of his earthly life where he was most vulnerable. He was so, he was, he was preparing to go to the cross. We've talked before, I think the thing that was so agonizing to him was not necessarily the pain and suffering he'd go through, but the fact that there would come a point when God would cut off his presence from his son, which is why Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think Jesus was agonizing over the very first time ever in his, and he never had a beginning, so all of existence, all of time and eternity past, first time ever he was going to be out of the presence of the Father. Satan comes to him, I believe that's the opportune time, because it's the time that we see in the accounts of his life where he was at the, another point of his most vulnerability. Satan doesn't care about playing fair. He plays to win. He plays to destroy. And so just like a lion, as it's watching and observing its prey, Satan is watching you and he's watching me and he's observing what parts of our life and our walk with Christ are the most vulnerable because he's not going to attack you with spiritual warfare or temptation in an area that you are really strong in your faith. He's going to go after the parts that he has recognized are a vulnerability for you. So let's say, let's say you're not somebody who struggles with lust, but you are somebody who can't control your anger. Satan's not going to try to tempt you with something that's appealing to the eyes. He's going to go after your emotions and he's going to stir up your anger inside you the best he can. Same thing would be the other way around. If you don't have an anger issue, he's not going to come at you and try to stir up anger in you or bitterness or any of that kind of stuff. But if you have an issue with lust, he's going to attack you where you're vulnerable. And so um, that's what he did with Jesus. He wasn't successful, but that was his tactic with Jesus to take what was most vulnerable in his life and try to get him to give in because Satan desires our destruction. Third thing, Satan uses human agents as well. He uses human agents. Now, I'm not talking about the obvious ones like serial killers, thieves, abusers. I mean, 
He certainly is at work in their lives and their words and actions certainly do destroy lives of others and harm people. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about people who have won the trust of the church, gained the reputation of a leader in the church. Now, if you think about leadership in the church, and it could be someone who's in a position of leadership, or it could be somebody who's not in a position of leadership, but we recognize as somebody who has wisdom, somebody who knows God's word, somebody who has a, a walk with Christ that is close we can trust. Um, if you think about people who are people that lead, a leader should want to influence people, right? Because we want to get the gospel out. We want to bring people to know Christ. A leader should be wise concerning the field in which they're leading, you wouldn't want to follow somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. A leader should be someone that you can trust. However, if that leader who wants to influence people, who is smart and wise concerning the things that they're in the area they're leading, and a leader who is trusted by the people, if that same leader then also has a tendency toward pride, if he or she thinks they're smarter than everybody else, if he or she has a difficult time seeing from a perspective that's not their own, then I would say be on your guard. Paul's warning here and the warning of so many other people in Scripture who, who authors of Scripture is a warning against those kinds of people because they come from within the church sometimes, they're a trusted person, and they use deceit to lure people into false teaching. So as a, sh- as a wolf in, is in sheep's clothing would be able to go undetected among the flock, sometimes we have people who do that in the church. And you see churches today that are, their theology is way off. And you wonder, how did they get there? As the culture pressed in, And people gave in to that, and they changed their theology. Rather than allowing God's word to shape their theology, they allowed the culture to shape their theology. And then before you know it, that's contagious, and more and more people begin to buy into that, especially if they are good and they can make it look like it's right. And they're just twisting it enough to make it false, but it doesn't appear to be false. Then more and more people buy into that, and then whole churches and sometimes whole denominations. And so Satan uses human agents. And Paul's warning is people are going to come from without and they're going to they're gonna try to destroy the flock. And sometimes they're going to come from within the flock and you've got to be on your guard. So that's pretty uplifting, right? Everybody excited and encouraged and in a good mood? Here are some, here are some ways that we can guard against this. Some of them are basic. What I've found is the basic Sunday school answer is usually the right answer. So four things, tips for keeping our eyes set upon Christ and not falling into this. The first one is to read the Bible and pray every day. Read every day, pray every day, because truth is found nowhere else than in Scripture. 
You know the, how many people, I grew up with it. How many people know the song, Neglect Your Bible, Forget to Pray, Forget to Pray? You know that song? And you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And then all the, as kids, you kept shrinking until you were like flat on the floor because you can't go any lower than that. And But then the song goes, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Then we started getting bigger. Um, there's a lot of truth to that. And it's a children's song, but it might be something that maybe we should sing as adults. Because the only way to be on your guard is to be in Scripture every single day and be in prayer every single day to recognize you can't do this in your own strength and in your own wisdom. You've got to have wisdom from Scripture. You've got to know Scripture, and you've got to be able to hear the Lord's voice when he says, that's a dangerous path, don't go down there. Number two, confess sin to the Lord. Confess sin to the Lord. This isn't fun. It's not something that we probably do often because we don't really like confronting the fact that we are sinful. We don't like confronting the fact that we are wrong about something. But sin in our lives that we refuse to deal with will blind us to the truth. So if somebody does come into the flock introducing something that sounds okay, but there's something wrong with it, and you can think about Think about all the different cults out there that use our scriptures, but they redefine things or they, or they add things to it. And so it's real easy to make for some people to make it look good, but they've twisted it so that once you buy into it, you're now believing something that's false. If you have sin in your life that's blinding you to the truth, you can't see that as well. So one of the things we need to do every single day is we need to go before the Lord in confession of our sin and ask him to remove that so that our hearts and our minds and our understanding will be clear so that we can recognize and have discernment. Number three, choose wisely those who teach you. Paul's warning was that wolves will masquerade as sheep and they will lure you into their trap. So, a suggestion maybe don't build your theology off of what you read on Facebook or what you hear in the news or maybe even what seems to be the latest trend among churches. Build your theology off of what you see in Scripture and choose wisely the people that you listen to as your teachers. Learn from someone you know and trust well. You know they have a good walk with the Lord. You know they're willing to be held accountable. You know they study and are a good student of Scripture. Learn from those people that you know. And number four, Choose wisely the people with whom you spend time. Not that we can't spend time with unbelievers. Not that we can't spend time with people who are, their theology is off. But 
make sure you surround yourself with people who are more mature in their faith than you are. Spend time with people who are older than you, who have been navigating this world and have life experience that God has used to teach them longer than you have. Um, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, became king after Solomon. He had, the very first thing, he had an opportunity to keep Solomon's advisors who were older as his own advisors or get rid of them and pick a new cabinet for himself. His friends who were young said, don't listen to them. Like, you need fresh blood. So he got rid of all the wise people and adopted as his cabinet and advisors people who were young, who were inexperienced and who were arrogant. And it just went downhill from there. So choose wisely who you spend time with. All right, so at the beginning of the sermon, I told you about Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and how they were off on their theology. They supported slavery because they allowed their culture to shape their theology rather than scripture. Let me be Paul Harvey and tell you the rest of the story. In 1993, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary brought on as the newest president, Albert Muller, who's still the president of the seminary. He was a pretty young guy when they brought him on in 93. When they approached him to be the president, he said there, there was a thing going on in the, in the Southern Baptist churches, some of them. They had become very liberal over time. And there was this, this resurgence of conservatism that was coming in. And Albert Moeller said, if I do this, the entire board of the seminary has to be on board with me and they have to understand we are moving to, we are going back to a conservative theology and we're not returning. And they all said, okay. And he's done some amazing things. But one of the things he's had to do in his time there is confront the fact that they have a racist history. And so he has issued an apology on behalf of himself and the entire school and the Southern Baptist churches to uh, people who have been affected by that. And he has started discussions at a table among people so that they can bring healing and reconciliation as the Holy Spirit brings um, about his work in the lives of them. And there have been a number of things that he's had to do to get them back on track with conservative theology. But in a time when we're seeing lots of denominations that are now feeling the pressure of the culture and caving in and allowing the culture to change the way they teach and believe, here's a group who at one time did that that shows that repentance if we repent and if we turn back to the Lord, that God will restore us to a right relationship with him. And the Southern Baptist um, Seminary there is doing some of the greatest work in terms of putting out people for ministry and preparing them to go into the field. I just want to make sure that we are a church who's like that. I want to be a church that guards against that stuff with everything that we have and everything that we are. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he offers forgiveness and uh, mercy. And even if, we, even if we struggle with sin or even if we struggle with, if we have some theology that's not quite right, God, we know that he's there eager to teach us through his spirit. 
and he has purchased us with his own blood. Help us to be people who are in your word daily, who are in prayer with you daily, who are surrounding ourselves with people who are healthy in their walk with you so that you will give us discernment and you will give us knowledge and you will help us to recognize false teaching as the culture presses in and as people who are bent on destruction of the church try to infiltrate not just our body of Christ here, but the body of Christ around the world. As they try to infiltrate God, let us recognize those things and guard each other and ourselves against the wolves. We thank you for your word, which is our guide. Let us let us shape all that we believe from that and that alone. In Jesus' name, amen.